listeners, and welcome to The Floor, fantasy and lore from the ground up. My name's Eli. I'm Joe Bendowski. And I'm Aaron. We do in-depth lore podcasts for games, movies, TV shows, and different worlds of mythology in our culture. One of us does an in-depth research on our topic. One of us is familiar with the topic. And one of us knows nothing. So the right questions will always be asked and will be addressed for anyone coming into the topic, regardless of how much you know. All right. Welcome back for, uh, I believe, our third installment of our Witcher series here. So we we talked about uh, kind of the introduction. We talked about the books that were originally written by the Polish author Sapowski. We talked about some of the influences that may have gone into his work. Then we talked what about what a Witcher how- is. Yeah, then we did a then we did an episode on The Witcher. We did a little bit of an introduction to the world of The Witcher. So this is kind of a dark, kind of a gritty fantasy uh, series of books written by this author. Um, and if, if you're not heavily familiar with fantasy genres, they're usually set in kind of a medieval technology state, right? So you're going to see swords, maybe catapults at the most. Uh, but beyond that, technology is more the way of magic as opposed to how our own technology has evolved. And this is very much what we're going to see in The Witcher. So now what we're going to be doing is kind of going through. We're not going to go through all of the plot points of the television series. We're assuming you're going to watch it because you're listening to this and then you enjoy that world. But we are going to dig into some of the exposition that may not be clear. We're going to go into uh, you know some of the bigger points that that sometimes cause confusions for people and different things like that. So we will talk a lot about things that happen in the show, but we're hoping to expand beyond them and really open up your understanding of the world and the backstory and, and all of that as we do this. So rather than just a walkthrough. Yeah. So this won't be a walkthrough at all. So when you say exposition, what does that word mean? Yeah. Uh, it looks like Eli might not know. I obviously know. I just want to see. <laughs> uh, so that's it's a writing term we use to like information, uh, any backstories, explanations, details, oh. you know, that kind of stuff. So we call, we call that exposition. So it's always key to understanding something to have enough exposition. Otherwise, it's just confusing. Um, but as a writer, you try not to put too much of that into a novel. Otherwise, it can kind of bog it down and really slow it down. So as a writer, you'd say exposition, and as a podcaster, you'd say lore. <laughs> so yeah, I guess so. But but it's bigger than that. But yeah, so so that's what we're going to be doing. Like I said, we're going to dig into backstory. We're going to dig into lore and, and exposition, all of that, as we go through the, the episodes here. So today we're going to be talking about two things. The four timelines you need to follow and understand in watching the television show and then we'll cover uh, any exposition points that that we you know might be interesting in episode one. When you say four timelines, this isn't multiple parallel universes, different no. periods of time. Yeah. So what happens is the way they set up the TV show is uh, so in the first two episodes we will meet the three central characters: Geralt of Rivia, Yennefer of Vengeberg, and Cirilla of Sintra. Right. So these are okay. our two main characters. Now we'll be cutting in between scenes of them, but when we start this, sh- when the show starts, they're all taking place at different points in time. Like they are years apart from each other. And by the time we get to the last episode, all those timelines will converge. And so what we're going to do is talk about where those timelines are starting in relation to each other and some of the hints you're getting along the way. Yes. Okay. Some of them 
have bit larger chunks in between them than others. Yeah. So, okay. So yeah, so we'll talk about the four timelines. So I just mentioned we talked about the three main characters. Those are the three timelines. Geralt's timeline, Cyrilla's timeline, and Yennefer's timeline. And the fourth timeline we want to follow is Nilfgaard. And so we talked about them in our introduction episode. They will eventually become the most powerful nation in the continent. And the continent is what they refer to as this place that exists after the conjunction of spheres, right? Because no one's really sure. Is like, is this our world? Are we in a new world? What is this? It's kind of a mishmash mess. So they just call it the continent. We're on the continent. And the conjunction the conjunction of spheres is why there's monsters in the world. Is that yeah, monsters, magic, different yep. races, all of that happens at the conjunction of spheres. Yeah. And nobody was really nobody who's alive now was alive for it. Wait, the elves were. Some of the elves were, yeah. So I think the average elf is between three and four hundred years, but there are elves that do not seem to ever die of old age. Right. So that will eventually be encountered. Yeah. Okay. So we've got our four timelines. So when the show starts, we're well, actually we're going to start with Geralt of Rivia, just really quick. (laughs) So his name is Geralt of Rivia, and when I first heard this, I was like, "What is Rivia? Where is it? Why is it important?" And this, here's what you need to know about Geralt of Rivia. At the time he begins to call himself Geralt of Rivia, he has never been to Rivia in his entire life. His name is Geralt, and that is the only name given to him by the witchers. And when he's graduating, he's told he needs a more respectable name. So he sounds more established and all of that so he can. it's easier for him to get work as a witcher. And so he randomly picks the name Rivia off a map. And he'll be like, I'll be Geralt of Rivia. At the time he just starts calling himself, he's never been there. It's not where he's from. He doesn't even know where he's from. He was so young when they took him. He didn't have that kind of comprehension. This is where I'm from. Oh, and like a Jedi. So he will eventually go what? to Rivia and have stronger ties to it, which we'll go into later. But at the time, right, so he's not there. Now, in the television show, he says, I'm from Rivia. And I don't know if they've either, you know, changed the lore there or if that's just him covering up with his same lie, Geralt of Rivia. So I have to be from Rivia. Okay. Okay. Either one works for me. So, yeah. Okay. Does, so. Do they have another name? Uh, you're talking about the Butcher of Blaviken? <laughs> I've, I've heard that one vaguely. Oh. It's a good nickname, Eli. <laughs> that one was not made up, just so you know. The right. Butcher of who? Of where? It's just some town. Or it wasn't. Yeah, just just some little village he was in where things went sideways for him. And they blame him. Yeah, and they blame him. So at the beginning of the story, we have this little, um, we've got this little mini story involving Rinfri and a sorcerer named Stregobor and Geralt. Now, during his conversations with Rinfri, Rinfri makes a reference to Calanthe. Now, Calanthe is Cyrilla's grandmother, and she's the queen of Sintra. Hold up. Who, see her. Who, who's Renfrey? Renfrey's just, just, a, just a girl in, in the first episode. Her, she doesn't have a big tie into the whole overall story. She's just part of the little okay. story that happens in that episode. Yeah. Okay. But in it, she talks about Calanthe just won the Battle of Horchbuzz. Okay? Okay. So that's that's our first point in understanding where this is in our timeline. Now, when we see Calanthe with Cyrilla... She is a grandmother. She's an older woman, right? 
And we're, okay. just, and we're told that she just won her first victory there. Now, we also know that Cyrilla will make a comment about this same battle as well. Cyrilla will say to his grandmother, you were my age when you won the Battle of Harchbaz, right? And so that now gives us our timeline, right? Cyrilla is 12 at this time. So we know that we need to knock off at least 40 years from Calanthe to get her to be Cyrilla's age. And so... This, so this event with Renfrey and Geralt is at least 40 years before Cirilla is sitting at that banquet table. One right. really okay. important point, Renfrey is not super important as like seen as a character, but she was important later on for Geralt as, in terms of like mental, did I do the right thing? Yes. So, so she is a heavy burden. That's why we bring her up because she's a heavy burden, like weight on his mind. She's the Jiminy Cricket in the story? Not really. Just something oh, okay. he, he always wonders about, some choices he made. He split he 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 came to a path and he could have done one thing and he did a different thing and he and he wonders if he did the right thing. Ah, okay. I see. I don't know if Jiminy Cricket did that. Like did he yeah. So that kind of establishes our two timelines here. Geralt is uh, you know, at least this is at least forty years before the events of the fall of Sentra, right? Because that's what we'll see in the first episode, is the fall of Sentra. So 40 years before that, Geralt has this run-in with Renfri and Strigobor. So his timeline is starting 40 years before then, and it's going to... And so all the timelines will converge, um, I think, probably just several months after uh, the events at uh, Sentra, although it could be as much as two years. What's the events at Sentra? So the fall uh, of Sentra. So the Nilfgaardian army will attack Sentra and claim the city. Nilfgaard oh, okay. is. Did we talk about this already? Nilfgaard is yeah. by far the biggest. Just they're, they're like the Roman army, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, in comparison to like everything small, mm-hmm. so just massive. So yeah, so that's that's Geralt and Cyrilla's timelines there, right? Okay. So, now I can't say exactly how long. Like in the story, from the fall of Sentra to meeting Geralt, that's two years. So. That could be two years for Cirilla, or they may could be condensing that a little bit. Hard to say. It, it seems like for Geralt and Yennefer, their timelines jump five to ten to thirty years in between. Yeah. Like- well, Yennefer's are going to jump even more. So at the so at so at the very end of the season, we will see the oh my gosh, uh, the Battle of Sodden Hill. Right, <laughs> that's the huge battle that happens in the last episode, the Battle of Sodden Hill. So at the Battle of Sodden Hill, Yennefer is 88 years old. So oh. She doesn't look it. No. Because she's a witch. As a sorceress, she doesn't age if she doesn't want to. Ah. Uh-huh. So, yeah. So she's 88 there. So we know that her timeline, when she first goes to that to the Mage College, she's a teenager. She's just a teenage girl. So we know that this is maybe 60 years than from the beginning of where we see her in the story. Uh-huh. Okay. So... Right. So, so we're looking at the last episode, the last episode, you know, where do all, how many years are the characters going to be moving to get there? For Yennefer, it's going to be 60 years. For Geralt, it's going to be 40 years. For Cirilla, it's going to be two years from the beginning to the end. Right. And those are the three timelines. Those are the three timelines that track characters. Yes. Now, we don't get any specific scenes following Nirvgard, but throughout all three of these timelines, we hear them talked about, referenced. And different things like that. And that establishes our fourth timeline is what is happening in Nilfgaard, right? Or more accurately, what is Nilfgaard doing everywhere else? 
So, yeah. And so, we'll, of course, we're going to start with, with the first points on Nilfgaard we get come from Yennefer, right? And what is happening at, when Yennefer is studying magic and first becoming a sorceress is that the Nilfgaardian emperor has no regard for him, his people. He spends all of his money on mistresses and luxuries, and his people are starving and angry, right? He's a tyrant. So he he yeah, he, he, he he's, he's not just a tyrant. Like his people are starving and he just does does nothing. He doesn't even care. He's disconnected from everything happening in his kingdom. Like a tyrant usually will actively force control. This guy's just like, I'm not hungry, you know, like not my problem. Oh, so okay. so that's where Nilfgaard is, uh, when all of this is in the beginning. So like I said, these are our four timelines that we're gonna be tracking as we go through this. Let's uh, recap real quick. Um okay. Eli, do you think you can recap those three, four timelines? Um, Understood. And then we'll take a break. All right. So we've got Yennefer is the oldest. No, there was yep. a different lady who's no, older. Yennefer is the oldest. Okay. Of, of, of the three characters we're tracking. Yeah. And and she's going to go to a mage school and is going to be interacting with things until the final battle uh, where she's 88. And then there's Geralt? Geralt, yeah. Geralt, and uh, he's the Witcher, and uh, he is going to age 60 years, but if I remember right, 40 years. Uh, But the the Witchers, they live a long time, right? Yeah, we don't even know how long they live. (laughs) He's really young in this first season. This is his, like, beginning. It's, it is? Oh, okay. So he's not like halfway through his career. This is still when he's first more or less starting out. Okay, okay. Still making a name for himself, if you will. Yep. Um and then uh who's the last chick? Cirilla. Cirilla. And and I'm I'm not sure I really understand who Cirilla is. Okay. She, so, she's interesting because you don't actually you're not supposed to know well, how Well what we do born. know is she is the princess of Sintra, right? Yes. So Calanthe's, uh, we find out later, uh, Calanthe's daughter and her son-in-law die. Don't. And so, oh, okay. like, it doesn't matter because we're, 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 like I said, we're, we will talk about things. So they will die. And so Cirilla, or who often is referred to as Suri, is the heir to the crown of Sintra, right? That Nilfgaard is going to come and sack. Yeah. So Nilfgaard is going to come and sack. So okay, that's, that's okay. kind of her importance. That's how she plays And Sintra. it is hinted that she might be more important than just that. Oh, maybe some it. magical, mystical well, things. In the first maybe. episode, we see she has some really powerful magical abilities, but we don't really know much about them. But we do see her use them a few times. Like what? We'll, uh, we'll so, get into that after the break. Break. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right, and we're back. So just a quick recap. We're talking about the next Netflix film, the first season of The Witcher. There are four important timelines that we want people to understand. The first one is Geralt of Rivia. He is our main character. Um, during the story, during this season, you're going to see him progress about – it's going to be about 40 years of timeline where he it skips through his life. Um, you're going to see Yennefer of Rivia. <clears throat> Yennefer, not Abrivia. Vengeberg. Vengeberg. It's like the same name. They're very <laughs> – get them mixed up all the time. The R's and the V's. It's so <laughs> similar. 
Um, and hers, hers goes over about 60 years of time. You've got Cirilla, who's is about two years, and she's the granddaughter of the queen at the beginning of the show, who is the queen of Sintra. And then we hear about Nilfgaard and what they are doing and planning during all of that time. So we kind of hear what's happening with Nilfgaard. Did I miss anything? That's no, that is that is it so far. Yeah. Okay, so now let's talk about a few of the other events in uh, in the first episode that kind of give us wait, an idea wait, of the up. world. Okay. What magic powers does uh, the queen have? Let's answer the question he had at the beginning of the break. Okay. Uh, the queen of Sintra doesn't have magic powers, but her daughter... Yeah. Um, so the first time Cirilla has a freak out... Uh, is is with uh, the Queen Calanthe, and she screams, and just all of the glasses start rattling and shaking. Not too much, but it's an indication that she's got power. Mm. By the end of the episode, she is caught by a Nilfgaardian soldier and is being taken away. And at one point, she just screams as loud as she can, and a massive stone pillar crackles, tumbles to the ground, and then opens a huge chasm in the earth, and she's able to escape. Which, like, t- honestly isn't that impressive. I've seen barbarians do more with their shouts. So. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, so so we definitely know that she's got some some significant magical power. Uh, but she is as shocked to see it happen as anybody else. So this is new to her. Mm. Yeah, she doesn't know she has magical powers. Right. Okay. So yeah, so that's, that's her magical power. So in the opening scene, uh, we... we uh, we see Geralt kills a Kikimura and then he goes into town and he's looking back for up, the... Back up, back up. Okay. Kikimura. Nobody's going to know what that means. Well, I'm assuming you've seen the show and like, I can explain it, but if you've seen the show, oh, that's Kikimura, that big thing it's, he's fighting like, right there. It's like a giant spider thing, right? Yeah. Like water spider? Yeah. A giant so, water spider. So he kills this monster. But like and scary one. And he's trying to sell it. And to, to do that, he's trying to find the alderman and so he's in the tavern at which point several men start to give him a really hard time. And my my first time seeing this without having understood the lore and background, it's like, why would you do that? He's faster than you. He's stronger than you. He's armed with two swords. You know he's got a little bit of magic. Why would you mess with him? So, And he just brought a big monster in. It's like... Let's, let's well, back he... up for a second. We, we talked about the Witcher and like how the church had like made the witchers sound like awful things. And so there's a lot of misconception with witchers, right? So they don't believe them to be real. They don't believe them to be as powerful. They have overconfidence in themselves and their team because they're in a group. Like there's a long list of why drunks want to attack a witcher. Well, see, but I'm so going back to the church, right? They set out this propaganda campaign to convince people that witchers are monsters just as bad as the creatures they fight. And the, you know, right. and, and the point is, it says, if they really see them as monsters, men see dragons as monsters too, and they fight them as well, right? It's a monster, we've got to put it down. And that's yep. very much how they see Geralt. Like, like a dragon. Yeah, it's big. Yeah, it's fast. It's strong. We'll work as a group and bring it down. Are there dragons in The Witcher? Yes. There oh, are dragons okay. dragons in The Witcher. I don't know. Right. Yeah, so <laughs> that's very much what's happening here. And you just have to understand there was a massive propaganda campaign by the church we covered this in our witcher episode to turn the people against them because they had too much uh political influence and power in the world and i think a lot of this kind of comes out in Geralt's sentiment to not get involved right because when the witchers had been getting involved in the past the world turned on them and nearly wiped them out Mm. so 
but Geralt very much has this mentality. We like, we don't get involved. I'm not here to pick sides. I'm just here to get paid for the monster I kill. That's it. <laughs> Which is fascinating. Geralt's uh, moral compass is one of my favorites because he goes out of his way to not kill monsters unless they are like encroaching and like killing humans or doing something. Because people are like, why don't you just kill it? He's like, didn't do anything. It's just hungry. Yeah. yeah. So he's like a, a, a vegan monster hunter. <laughs> but he, he's uh yeah but he also so, eats meat so he's like 50 percent vegan i would say yeah right so, but just like like <laughs> like uh you know when somebody sees a spider people have two reactions kill it or capture it and let it outside right? or the third option which is the most rational is burn your entire house to the ground right 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 there's always <laughs> that one <laughs> okay so but but there's a thing here that happens with the Kikimura that tells us a little bit about the world. So we talked about the conjunction of spheres. Monsters came into the world, you know, and 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 mankind's first reaction was we got to get rid of these things. They're dangerous. They're deadly. They're everywhere. But the girl tells him, "Can't you can't sell the Kikimura? We don't want it." You know, it was a griever that that we had a flyer for. He says Kikimuras are useful. They you know for population control of predators in the wild, mm-hmm. and. So what we're seeing here is a change in the world. And we talked about this with the troll uh, in a previous episode. But where the the first couple hundred years after the conjunction of spheres, uh, the humans were just trying to wipe out these monsters. But now they're slowly starting to understand them to the point that there's an accord, right? If we wipe them all out, it's not good. They're doing certain things in the environment that we want to maintain and keep. So he's more of a druid in finding balance with nature, and the monsters are a part of nature. Well, so at this point, like like uh, Aaron said, like Aaron says, we're going to be going through many decades of Geralt's life, and we'll see this moral compass shifting. So initially, he killed the Kikimura because it was a monster, and he needed the money because he's really broke at this point. Whereas later on. He will opt not to kill monsters because they don't need to die. He doesn't need the money. It doesn't need to die. It's not bothering anybody. So we do see kind of a shift in his moral compass. But also we're kind of seeing just the way the whole world views all monsters is shifting to some degree. It's being like they're not all terrible. Some of them are useful. Uh, but, mm. you know, this isn't the whole world. Just certain people within it are starting to take this view on things. But we see this here with the Kikimura that, you know, some of them are useful, and you don't need to wipe them all out. It's true. Yeah, I, I misspoke when I said that because that was yeah, he grows. Yeah. Okay. He is young. Uh, so destiny is mentioned a lot in this first episode. It's mentioned a lot in the series and in the books, but it's always kind of presented as this kind of question, right? Is destiny real, and it's gonna make this happen no matter what, or? Is it people believe in destiny and then make decisions that manifest it that way? Mm, and so that's kind right. of always always a question at the heart of it. They're like, is it destiny that he's here or he's here and we choose to do something about it makes it destiny, right? Right, right. So and this is uh this is what happens in Sintra, right? So uh over the course of the series, we'll we'll come to a clear understanding of some of the things happening when Sintra falls in the first episode. And that is they talk about he's still here. And they're trying to get Cyrilla to him as fast as possible. And what has happened, and we find this out in later episodes, is that uh, Geralt was awarded, I guess, stewardship over over Cyrilla as uh, doing a certain act to save her father's life. And so he's then promised the law of surprise uh, 
And the surprise that he gets is that can he's we, go- Can we back up for a second? Okay. This is a very important scene because of how awesome it is. Because Geralt should have saw the irony of this way before he even asked for it. Because originally, uh, the guy who marries um, the queen's daughter... I think we're going in too deep. So we'll just go that Cirilla is promised to Geralt to have stewardship over. I think that's as far as we're going to go into that today. Otherwise, it's too complicated. Uh, the Law of Surprise is amazing, though. Yeah, yeah What what is the Law of Surprise? Basically, the what you own that you don't yet currently know you own, I will take. So, like, an extra, like... Like if your dog has like an extra litter and you didn't know about it, or like you get like a surplus of grain, just like just like that, which you own, which you didn't know. Like you find yeah, something so in your bed. It's whenever someone has saved another person's life, the uh, and if, if, if and they say they don't want anything that can be claimed, or they said you know you don't really have anything I want, you know I've saved you. That's kind of it. You can claim the law of surprise, which was as Aaron explained, right? Then whatever good thing you don't know you yet have. But we'll discover you will then give that to me as the reward. And so Geralt was like, oh, let's take what, what you had and I'll just get the last surprise. And then they immediately found out after that she's pregnant. The queen's daughter pregnant. was pregnant yeah. with Cirilla. Yeah. So <laughs> Cirilla is promised to Geralt under the law of surprise. And at the age of 12, he comes back to uh, claim her. To now, protect her, not claim. Well... This is this so this event will be triggered by a conversation he has with Yennefer that we don't know about yet, right? But yeah, so he comes back to claim his law of surprise, and then he ends up telling Calanthe that because this is the the terms he's supposed to come back in twelve years, and he's telling Calanthe, "I don't want it. You keep her. I don't want it." But he shows up to tell her this so that they'll stop worrying about it, right? So he tells. Oh, because they're expecting yeah. him to come back and take her. Yeah, they're expecting it, and like they're doing all kinds of stuff to trick him about who Cirilla really is and everything. And he's like, "Look, I don't want this. I'm just telling you." And oh, okay. so then, as he's leaving, he gets locked up, and and it is What'd doing he do? nothing. They just he don't trust back. him. <laughs> yeah, he came okay. back, and he while he is locked up, Nilfgaard invades and attacks the city of Sintra, and it is then that they're like. Oh, it's destiny that we hand Cirilla over to him for protection because Nilfgaard is going to take over the city right now. And this is the sacking of that city that you were yeah, talking about earlier. Yeah, this is the sacking of the city. So like I said, these are events we'll see actually play out later in the series. But th- like compounding everything that actually happens at the sacking of Sintra, right? So this is what happens there. Uh, the king will be killed. Calanthe will be seriously injured. Geralt will be locked up and in Sintra at the time, and then he will get escape. And then when they realize they cannot save Sintra, that Nilfgaard has won, they try to sneak Cirilla out and get her to Geralt. And, uh, and Geralt has already escaped, so they can't find him. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of just like, guys, you should have just listened to him from the beginning. But the well, he didn't, want, he didn't want to take Cirilla, though, right? True. He but also now didn't want to be in prison. <laughs> So, but then I, I take it he's gonna get like his moral compass is gonna be like, all right, your your city got ransacked. I'll take care of you. I guess I was supposed to. Like, he, I don't know. Through a lot of the show, he's going through like a moral shift. He's, he's like, okay, yes, I need to protect this child. So okay, so what, what questions do we have so far? You lie the sun, you man. 
All right, so there's that event there with the law of surprise. Um, yeah, we'll go into that into that more. When we, we could probably do a episode. whole episode on that and just yeah, actually, we probably will. Like, because there's a lot that's not talked about in the series uh, about the law of surprise. And just keep in mind, we didn't really expressly say this. The first, like, our our ground floor episodes were about the books, the movies, and the games a little bit. Just kind of the intro into the world. This was specifically about the show. Yes. So okay. It is. We want to put that in there just so you know it is a little different. All right. All right. Um. You know, you're throwing a lot of new names at me. Here. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, um, the big three are just uh, Geralt, Cirilla, or Suri, and Yennefer. Those are the big three. And then what, what's the name of the town that gets sacked? Sintra. Sintra. So it's a and kingdom, what? and that's it's like, a kingdom. Yeah, it's a kingdom, and like the, their, their capital is taken. Like a huge castle falls. Oh, okay, okay. So this is like a capital city of a nation. That's why it would the the queen was so like you don't need to take it. Like it's dumb that you're here. Like we can protect ourselves. We have this huge, massive wall. We have this huge army. Like we can do it. But Nilfgaard doesn't care. Nilfgaard's the biggest. So. Gotcha. And okay. uh, so there's a few things that that happen. Uh, like uh, Calanthe mentions that Nilfgaard will destroy everything. Calanthe is the grandmother of yeah. Sarilla. So she's current queen of Sintra, right? When it falls. Oh, okay. And um, so Nilfgaard has actually a very specific plan as they invade and take over nations. So I think in our Siege and Dragon Spear, we talked about how armies, they just eat everything as they march along in these medieval times, right? They just consume right. everything. Well, Nilfgaard does a few other things it does. Anything it doesn't eat or take with it from the food supplies of the area they invade, they will burn to the ground. It oh. will also destroy any forges, any mills. Any smithies, any any kind of industrial equipment, they will destroy. And if they can mm. find any uh, any any craftsmen of, of a measure of skill, they will execute them as well. So your blacksmiths and everything. Oh, and this brutal. is what this is what they call economic warfare. Because yeah. even if they lose the war, you will still be economically dependent on Nelfgard because they wiped out your industry, your skilled laborers, and the tools they needed gone. That is brutal. I thought it was brutal when the Romans salted people's fields. That is rough. Yeah. So, a lot of bad things happened. So that's why, like, Calanthe is like, they just destroy everything because they wipe out those things, right? They're trying to, you know, wipe out your ability to provide for yourself so that even if they lose this war, you still need them. You're dependent on them, right? Right, by just blatantly destroying human productivity. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, that's that's ridiculous. Some I'd really like to get to know what was that? I said if only they had troll sausage, they could just wipe that town way faster. <laughs> I really would like to know more about the uh, magic in this world because okay. it keeps coming up, and and I don't know. So what I think it looks like. Wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Big concept. Let me introduce it, and then you okay. tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> We're doing that now. Basically, it's a lot like alchemy in that there's a give and take, so there's some form of exchange done. Like Full Metal Alchemist style. Yeah. See, my man, he knows. He knows good shows. It's sad that you didn't see Brotherhood after that, but it's okay, my man. Uh, the so yeah, so there's, 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 there's some give and take normally. Um, I don't think that Geralt has as much just because his magic's so small. But no, Well, and, and I, I think I've explained this before. The function of the magic in the books and the games and the show is very different. Okay, In the books... Uh, they tap into what they call a source, 
Right. So they're educated to find these sources and then they can draw the magic out of them. And the bigger the source, the bigger magic they can get out of it. In the games, it's a very much game mechanic, right? You, you're dealing with cooldowns, you're dealing with maybe reagents. And, right. you know, and we talked about out, the potions yeah. and how you can poison yourself. Yeah, yeah. And then in, in, the, in, the, in the series, they explain it very differently. But if you watch them using magic, it doesn't seem like it always follows this rule exactly. So they're kind of loose with this. But so when Yennefer is learning magic, the, this is kind of how they introduce how it works, right? She's given a rock and a flower. And she's told to levitate the rock. And so the first girl in her class who tries to levitate this rock, her hand starts to like burn and shrivel. As, she as the rock is levitating. Yeah, because it's oh. drawing that energy from her. And then the teacher shows them how it's done. He says, you take the flower and you take the life energy of the flower to levitate the rock. And the flower die in her hand dies and the rock levitates. I do, I do feel like okay. that a lot of the this the importance of the place that she was taught they have that huge tower that's filled with magic so to speak i think they draw from that somehow or bring yeah. something so they 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 created something. their own source in eratusa with those eels which is where she mm. was taught yeah so they can draw so it's it's supposed to be there for you, but they haven't been taught to draw from sources yet so like I said, the magic functions differently in, in each uh, sphere that these stories are being told, um, right. just kind of depending on how you look at it. And a lot of times we'll see wizards and sorcerers using magic, and we don't see what source they're pulling their energy from. It'll be interesting to see uh, uh, Artel Sorian, the guys who made the role-playing game Cyberpunk, they're also making The Witcher. It'll be interesting to see how they put the mechanics in that uh, role-playing game. All right, so I would say after this, you are free to watch the first episode. I'm trying to figure out all that. <laughs> like, okay, I see now what everyone's talking about. Here are my questions. <laughs> You'll actually probably understand it way better than I did the first time I watched it. So. Are, are you saying this is my homework? Like, I, I need to watch the next episode before our next recording? I recommend it. <laughs> I recommend it. All right. Very well done. Geralt is one of my favorite characters just because he has a wide array of acting with just like grunting and saying the F word. <laughs> He's a grunter, huh? Some eye rolls in there. It's pretty good. All right. All right, all right Joe. What are we going to be talking about next episode? So we will go into uh, episode two. We'll talk more about Eratusa. Uh, we'll follow and, and we'll talk about each of these timelines as they're evolving within each episode, able to watch them. So, um, you know, how, how Yennefer and Geralt's timelines start to intertwine a little bit here. We'll talk about, uh, how Geralt is sterile and how just reproductive, reproduction plays such a big part of the storyline as a whole, like reproduction and who can and can't and why and when. All of that is a very big part of this world. And we'll, we'll come to understand, uh, that a lot better in episode two as well. I, I guess it'd be episode four as well. So that's okay. true. So are we going to be focusing on the Netflix, the Netflix series for the next little bit? Or are we going to talk about the lore from the other two as well? So I, I want to get through the Netflix series just because I want people ready for season two, armed with all of the backstory and all of the exposition you could get out of the first uh, uh, season, you know, so there, there's nothing they've missed going in. And then we'll probably start talking about the games because, like I said, the games branch off into their own stories. That's true. And so the oh, right. new season may be able to pick up 
from those or stuff and give you additional stuff. So, All right. All right. Aaron, do you have uh, Patreons you'd like to thank? Uh, I mean, I guess I could. <laughs> yes, I would love to. Thank you. So we would like to thank our Patreons. I mean, I would like to because I guess I'm the only one who's saying anything. <laughs> I would like to thank our Patreons. Um, Dorothy, Rachel, Josh, Ben, and our biggest supporter so far, Kieran. Ooh. Thank you all. You're the reason we keep doing this. Um, and tell your friends about us and uh, tune in next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. And if you see any of our ads or some of our social media, uh, if you could like, share, comment on it, just as a way to let other people know about it. If you're enjoying it, you probably know some other people who will enjoy it as well. And of course, uh, word of mouth is the best way to spread. So we'd love it if you would tell your friends about the podcast as well. Some of D&D has contradictions. There's a lot of retcon that goes on as each edition kind of goes out. So if you've got a preference uh, as to which piece of, of the lore you really prefer or something, let us know and We'll, we'll cover that in some of our listener mail. And uh, we do do uh, some in-deep research, but every once in a while, you know, maybe we reference a source that isn't great. So, you know, if you think we got something wrong, let us know. Or, you know, just want us to dive deeper, feel free to contact us. And then you can, of course, contact us at floor fantasyandlore at gmail.com. If you uh, want to support us, you can hit up the Patreon, which is patreon.com backslash floorfantasyandlore. And then, of course, there is our Facebook page, which is Floor Fantasy and Lore. And always, Floor is spelled F-L-O-R-E. That's lore with an F in the beginning. If you want to check us out on YouTube, uh, maybe see some gameplay footage or just some images to go along with some of the things we talk about, like some of the creatures or the environments, then you can uh, see those on YouTube and usually just The Floor or Floor can find it there as well. If you are interested in joining the Patreon, you can get early access and ad-free access to the episodes there. So you can get a week early to some of the shows and uh, we are in discussion about some of the other things we want to expand to. Thanks for listening. And now... We have given you the floor and foundation. Now go build your own story.